Hello, everyone, and welcome to Around the Campfire with Kate. Sit back and enjoy the warmth of the coals of the fire tonight, as I'm honored to interview Malachias Gaskin of Warfires Gardens. The introduction music is by Dave Bray and Jeremy Harrell, called America is Dying, But It's Not Too Late. Go on over to YouTube and check out their patriotic music. You will not be disappointed. My special guest tonight is the author of A Warrior's Garden. Malachias Gaston is the author of A Warrior's Garden, A Therapeutic Guide to Living with PTSD. He's the founder of War Fighter Gardens, a veterans and first responder garden therapy for nonprofit and Honor 22 Farms, a family-owned organic-based farm. Malachias joined the Indiana Army National Guard in January of 1994 at 18 years old and served both as a combat medic and an infantryman for nine years. In April 2006, he enlisted into the active Army as a combat medic and served eight more years. He did 28 months in Iraq during the surgeon Operation New Dawn. He was medically retired for PTSD, TBI, arthritis, hearing loss, and bursitis at 100%, and retired to Columbia, Tennessee. Malachias graduated from Lipscomb University with honors using his post-9-11 GI Bill and was conferred with a degree in psychology. He is currently a county veteran service officer in Maury County, Tennessee. He's married with three children, Brandon, Colin, and Saloya. Saloya, did I say that right? Saloya, and one grandchild, Evelyn. After three years of counseling and psychotropic medications, he transitioned to a holistic trauma recovery roadmap using three main pillars, spirituality, creativity, and physicality. A Warrior's Garden was born, which became the catalyst for Warfire Gardens, his signature nonprofit. And I just butchered that like you wouldn't believe. I've heard worse. Trust me. (laughs) Basically, with those credentials, you sacrificed yourself for the right thing. And now you are using selfless acts to show people what the example should be. Welcome to my campfire, Malachi's. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It is an honor. How did you get the name Malachias? That's a crazy story. Um, I was actually, when I came home from, I want to say it was my second deployment. So it was 2010, early, late 2010, early 11. I was in a, I was getting really deep um, diving into like the history of my faith. Like what did I believe in why and where did it come from? Right. Um, and as a Christian, you know, for the longest time, I kind of struggled with some of the ideology in it and things like that. But then I realized that, you know, for me, uh, I wanted more. It wasn't it wasn't enough to just read and, and study individually. I wanted to have more. So I met a bunch of people. I literally met a bunch of people from all over the country online. And we started an online Skype prayer group where we would get together once a week um, and each person would take turns leading it. And we would have prayer. We would have a message. You know, it was just us doing this together, teaching and growing with each other, having questions about stuff that we didn't understand or whatever, um, and bouncing those ideas and thoughts and questions off each other, right? And I was in this thing 
you know, and, and it was happening and it was great. I was praying and I was, you know, praying along with the people that were praying. And I had this, I called a God encounter where it was like, God spoke to me, you know, Hey man, I've got a new name for you. And I was like, wait, what? Who said that? Cause you know, usually when I would imagine hearing God in my own head, it would be my voice, you know, and this right. was a completely distinct voice that didn't come from anybody else. And I was mm-hmm. just like, whoa, wait a minute. Um, and so you tell that people and people kind of get, they get weirded out, but I'm just like, no, nah, I mean, it's, it's what, it was, it's what it is. Right. And he said he had a new name for me and I go, okay, what is it? And he was like, you are now Malachias. And from that day on, like I changed my name on social media and all that in 2019, I legally changed it in the courts um, to remove my birth name and change it to Malachias. So my legal name now is Malachias Rayful Gaskin and it stands Malachias uh, stands for God's messenger and Rayful, my middle name is Hebrew as well. And it means God's healer. Wow. Yeah. And knowing your background, I mean, the, those names fit you right that's that's huge that's awesome so tell us who is malachias gaskin and how did you get to where you are today man he is a loser no i'm kidding um (laughs) (laughs) um, that's not what i was told (laughs) you were lied to no (laughs) um so i was born and raised in fort wayne indiana um which is like in that weird armpit area up in the top east corner where it's like almost ohio almost michigan right um and so i mean we were 10 minutes from the ohio state line and we were 40 minutes from the michigan state line but it's a straight shot um and so i grew up in fort wayne indiana at 10 years old my dad started a family landscape business and it became our lives for the next 20 years um he was an alcoholic until i was seven and my mom finally took me and left and said yeah we're not coming back unless you get help and so he went into rehab, we came home, he got dry, and he traded alcohol for work. And so he just gave up one addiction for another. Um, and so he quit drinking and started working and doing all that. And then at 13, I was promoted to a supervisor. And so at 13 years old, I was hiring and firing adult male employees for a landscape company. Wow. Um, at, at, at 18, after you know 12 years of school and 13 schools, because we moved all the time, um, I dropped out, got my GED. Let me back up. Sorry. At 13, I came home sick from school and found out through a phone call, a random phone call from this woman that, uh, says, Hey, I'm your mom. And I was like, you're high. My mom is at work with my dad. Shut up. And I hung up on her. And then she called back and she's like, my name is this. And I'm your mom. You were born on this date. This is your middle name. You were born with a collapsed lung. You were born in the back of a cab. Like told me everything that no one outside my family was supposed to know because we weren't, we didn't talk about specific things. And my dad was very secretive. Oh, wow. And so he came you know, when he, he got my voicemail from work and he came home and he was like, did she leave a phone number? And I was like, is it true? And he's like, I, he, did she leave a phone number? And I'm like, is that true? And, you know, 13 years old, I'm standing up to my dad and he goes, yes, give me the number. So I threw the number at him and cussed him out, walked away. I didn't talk to him for about three weeks. Um, That's and, traumatic yeah. for a child. I mean, and and he was my dad, but I had been lied to about who my, my mother was, which, you know, when you look at it analytically later on, it's like the mother that raised me was my mom. Like she was right. my mother. Right. She was the one that, that chose me. She was the one that was there. She's the one that stepped in the gap when I found, you know, because I, I learned a lot of stuff about my birth mom. I'm not going to go into right. um, that. I just I tried. I, I I tried with everything in me to have a relationship and it just didn't work out. Um, 
the last time that we talked, I told her, I said, you know, I said, look, I said, I'm not going to call you mom. Right. I'm like, you, it, it is what it is, right? You can be here. You can be in our lives and you can watch your grandkids grow up and all of that. If you try any funny stuff, you're gone. I'm just not going to play. I don't have time for the drama. And, and so, you know, it, it is what it is. And then at 18, I dropped out of high school. I called my dad. I left school. I, I sat down in class with my teacher for finals at a small Christian school as a junior, academically a freshman, and said, how much do you make? And she goes, that's highly inappropriate. And I go, no. See, I'm like, look, I'm trying to make a life decision right now. And I just really, like, how much do you make? Like, you have a master's degree in education and you work at a small Christian school. Like, she goes, I make about 27000 a year. Now, mind you, this is 1992, okay? She's like, I make 27000 a year. And I looked at her and I go, I make more than you and I work five months out of the year. Wow. And I stood up, walked out, got in my car. I was 18. It was my birthday, mm-hmm. you know, and I drove to a payphone because we didn't have cell phones back then because I'm old. And I was like, you know, <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, dad. And he's like, wait, wait, what are you doing? I was like, um, I'm going to drop out. And he goes, what? I was like, I'm going to drop out of high school. And he goes, what are you going to do? I said, I'll get my GD and go to work. I might as well just go to work full time anyway. I'm already making money working for you anyway. And he's like, all right, come on. Well, we'll figure out how to tell your mom. And so, Uh-oh. you know, I, I went to work and he told mom and mom wasn't happy. And she said, you have 12 months. You will get a GED. I'm like, yes, yes, ma'am. You go, I, mom. I, yeah. And and so, you know, a few months down the road, you know, and I I was, uh, well, so my birthday, 1992, the day I dropped out of high school, I went to the mall after work that day with a buddy of mine and saw this woman who was like smoking hottest woman I've ever seen in my life. And who today is my wife. Um, oh, that's so cool. But she ended up becoming my best friend and then turned into the maid of honor at my first wedding. Wow. Um, and then, you know. So that smoking hot babe didn't get you right off the bat. I didn't get her right off the bat. So, ah, okay. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I got married. You know, I went to basic training, came home. I got married. I, was, I went to Fort Knox in 94. Um, I went to... Um, AIT at Fort Sam Houston that later that year, but just in between basic and AIT, I got married. Um, I got to AIT and while I was there, I found out that my wife, who, who's my wife now, that her and her boyfriend broke up. And I'm like, Sigh. you know, and I was like, well, yeah, right. So I'm like, I'm married. I'm just, I'm going to honor my, my stuff, you know, whatever. And came home, didn't work out. We got a divorce. Um, at about three and a half years, we got a divorce, and then I met my next wife, who was – I was 24. She's 18, and she was a little blonde-haired, blue-eyed Barbie doll, you know, who hung on every word I said. And I was – you know, I'm in, here I am a, corp, a corporal in the infantry going, yep, she's next. And then we got married and then found out the whole four years we were together that she had cheated on me the entire four years. Oh, my gosh. I didn't find out until after she left me and made me feel like I was a total dirtbag. Like, it was all my fault. And so oh my gosh. I ran into – my wife now, I hadn't seen her in about six years, I think, something like that. And we ran into each other at a local, like, Irish pub that does karaoke. And we ran into each other, and we had a beer. And, like, she walked up behind me and did the whole, like, hey, guess who? And I was, like, I turned around. I'm like, holy crap. And she was like, hey, how have you been? I haven't seen you forever. And I go, I used to be in love with you. And she's like, what? I'm like, let me buy you a beer. Um, and completely glossed over what I just said because I was like, nope, not ready for that. Um, and that was March of 02. 
And then May of 02, I got arrested for a DUI. Ouch. Um, I was hitting rock bottom because I was still right. spiraling from everything that yeah. had happened with my second wife. And I had this, I, was, I had given up on my faith. I'd given up on God. I, I told God, I know you're real. I'm done with you. Like, I'm fed right. up. I have, what, I, what have I done to go through all this, right? Like, poor me, pity party, all that. Right. Um, and then I laid there one night in my bed and I just screamed at God. I was like, I want her. Stop, stop this. Like, let me have her. If you give her to me, I'm yours again forever. Like whatever it is. And I got arrested May 2nd for a DUI. And the day I got out of jail, I went home and I was living at my parents' house. And the first person I called was my wife now, Paige. And I was like, you know, Hey, uh, I got arrested last night. And she's like, wait, what, what happened? I was like, I got a DUI. And she cussed me out and yelled at me. I like her already. Yeah. And uh, she, uh, June 6th, my birthday, she came and picked me up. And we went to go do karaoke at the bar that I got arrested at. Who They know me. I'm a regular. The owner and I are personal friends, right? right. And I don't have a, a driver's license anymore because they took it when they arrested me. Right. And, and so, like, hey, you don't have an ID. You got to go. I'm like, dude, I'm here like three nights a week for the buffet, bro. Like, what are you talking about? You, like, you all know me. You don't have an ID. You got to go. Oops. Okay. And yeah, so we left and went to another club to do karaoke. And I'm giving you a crazy long story, like my backstory about my wedding. That's and okay. so um, we go to another club where uh, we used to love to actually do karaoke. It's a great little club where like, everybody it was funny. Like, this is one of those clubs. Like, it's a small little biker bar, really tiny. Like, there's literally like you can get 30 people inside. Okay. But it's bikers, it's gay people, it's straight people, it's Christians, it's everybody. And we all just got along and did karaoke and had fun and drank beer. You know there what I mean? Go. Like it was right. it was just phenomenal. Um, and so we go in there on my birthday and we're hanging out and it's a packed house. And so our drinks are on the speaker by the stage and the owner of the karaoke machine, like she was a good friend of ours. So like she was like, yeah, you guys are fine, but nobody else. And so we're doing karaoke and things are happening and she's starting to develop feelings and these women are flirting with me, which is not normal. Um, and she's getting jealous and I can't figure out what's going on. And she doesn't know what's going on. And so we end up leaving and we get into her car and we kiss for the first time. And it was crazy. Like, so that's June 6th of 02. So March, we, re we re reconnected. May I get arrested? June 6th, we, we have our first kiss and we start dating. July 2nd, we go in for my sentencing for my DUI, and all my stuff was done. My fees, my fines, my stuff, everything was completed in advance. So the judge was was very happy, and he, he's like, hey, I'm going to do – I'm going to waive a lot of stuff. I'm going to reduce it to reckless driving. I'm going to reinstate your driver's license as long as you have an SR-22 for one year. Right. And blah, blah, blah. And he goes, we're going to call it uh, time served and done. You know. Wow. And I walked well, there, out. There's God right there. Yeah, I mean, he showed up so often. It was, it's unbelievable. Um, and then, so we walk outside, and we're like, you know, we were already talking about getting married, you know, in the future. And so I was like, well, I got a friend of mine across the street. She's a county judge. I'm going to go talk to her and see when she can squeeze us in this year. Like, let's go. It's July 2nd of 02. We run across the street. I go see my friend, Judge Boyer. And I go, hey, Judge. Like, she's like, hey. And we're talking. <laughs> and, and, uh, I was a, I was a foreman on one of her juries, and so we got mm -hmm. we ended up connecting and having a really good relationship afterwards, like a good friendship. Um, and she was like, "Hey, what's going on? What are you up to?" I'm like, "Well, we want to get married. We're wondering, like, in a couple of months, like, when can you squeeze us in?" And she goes, "I can do it today." I'm like, "We'll be back." And we took oh, off. Boy. Yeah, we ran to the mall. We got rings. Came back. Got 
you know, called people up, meet us at the courthouse, we're getting married. Then you know the whole thing, and we get there, That's and, we fast. Get, and we get married, and then we leave, and we go to the hotel, and we have our honeymoon, and then we get up the next morning at four o'clock. I drop her off at the house, and then I go back to work, and she still to this day doesn't know what happened. <laughs> like I, she's like, "You duped me." I'm like, "I drugged you. It's over. Like it's it's too late though. Like you signed on the line. It's done." You said, "I do." <laughs> we kissed. It's done. So, um, so yeah. So then during that time frame. Um, 2003, I got out of the military. I was at E7 in, the, in a medical platoon um, down in 113th Med Support Battalion in Indianapolis. Um, I got out. I didn't hold my E7 long enough. And so when I got out, it was removed back to staff sergeant E6. And then I was out for three years. Um, I was reduced to E5. And so when I went to go active duty, and this is, I wasn't technically reduced. This is like when you're going to go back in the military, these are the standards that are going to happen depending on those right. things. And so as I'm getting ready, I'm talking to the active recruiter. I pretty much knew I was going to be an E6 or an E5. I knew I wasn't going to go in as a seven because I was National Guard. Now I'm going active duty, right? And it's it's we're we're going into the peak of the war. And so I I knew I was going to go back in as an NCO. And my recruiter, after going to MEPS and doing my physical and all the stuff, and he comes back and he was like, "Yeah, man, uh, best we can do is E4 specialist." And I'm like, "Out skis, nope, not doing it." And I left. Wow. And we were homeless. We were living on the floor of my mom's single wide two bedroom trailer with my wife, myself, my three kids and my mom. Wow. Um, 2004, my dad died. The banks came in and, and just raped our company and took it all. Oh my gosh. So we went for, I went from making 20 bucks an hour, company truck, company benefits, all the things, you know, vice president of operations had worked there 20 years to mm-hmm. 675 at a truck stop pumping gas. Wow. You know, selling people coffee and cigarettes, breaking twenties for the, Cherry master slot machines in the back of the back of the gas station, you know, um, and I was going to continue doing that rather than be an E4, having been a senior non-commissioned officer. You right. Know? And, and so for those of you who do not know, non-commissioned an NCO is non-commissioned officer. Right. Yeah. Um, and so a couple of days later, I was coming home and my wife got a hold of me and she was like, hey, we actually she called me. Sorry, she called me at work and she goes, you need to get off. We need to go see the recruiter. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. Like, I'm not going in as a specialist. Like, that's that's a slap in the face for all my LR, all I've already, already done. And she goes, we need to go. And so she came and picked me up. Or I, I got off. I went home, picked her up. We went to go see the recruiter. And he was like, all right, man. And he pushed these two pieces of paper over across to me. He's like, so you've got two MOSs, which are military occupational specialties. Medic, infantry, which one do you want? And I looked at him and I go, like, Dude, we've had this talk. I promised my wife I would not be infantry again. And he goes, he flipped over the one and he goes, all right, you're Sergeant E5, Fort Stewart, Georgia. Sign here. And I signed it. I go, what was the other one? He was like, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, dude, I already, I already signed it. It's a done deal. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to live with it. I'm good. He was like, Staff Sergeant, infantry, Fort Stewart. And looking back at it, you know, knowing what I know now, and, and, and I was really solid about back then. I didn't second guess it, but you know, knowing what I know now, had I gone back in as an infantry with my lack of PT and physical training that I did for three years of being a right. civilian, a veteran, you know, um, in between service windows, I literally would have been reduced to E5 and E4 in the infantry because of my lack of PT. And so I. So you made the right decision. I made the right choice. And when I got there, I had a really understanding first sergeant. He was like, he was, hey, man, what's up with that PT, bro? Like your max and pushups and sit ups with that run. Like you're barely crossing the line in time, barely. Like I, and when I say barely, like four seconds. I was passing by four seconds. 
on the two mile run and he goes, uh, I was like top, I was national guard. I go, and I got out for three years. I just came back in. I go, I go three weeks ago. I was, there was, there was no PT hadn't been for three years. He's like, I'll do two a days with you. I'm like, what? He was like, wow, I'll, I'll do afternoon PT with you if you'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. That's, and so for, that's a good first sergeant. Yeah, and so for 45 days, every day, I'd get up and do PT in the morning, and then we'd get done, we'd go do PT, and then I'd go to dinner. Um, and then I went home and picked up the wife and the kids and brought them back. And then by that point, I was getting about a 270, 275, which is an average, pretty good average score. Right. Um, and then uh, I ended up deploying. Like, I did got called up for 15 months, George Bush Jr., you know, did the whole, we're going to do the surge, we're going to send all the people to Iraq, and we're going to beef it up. And so we got on the, on the, we were bumped up four months. We got rushed for deployment, um, ended up going to Iraq for 15 months. I was a medic on a EOD escort team, which oh, EOD wow. stands for Explosive Ordnance Disposal. Um, and so whenever the units on the ground would find unexploded bombs or they'd find, you know, mines or, you know, IEDs or EFPs, they would call and say, we need EOD and we would roll out and we had 15 minutes to be out of the tent in our vehicles on the road. Wow. And we did that for about six months. And then for a part of that, we started moonlighting with a patrol base doing, uh, cataloging opportunities where we were going door to door. And just verifying who lived in what village, what weapons were in the homes, because they were allowed to have one AK-47 per house, you know, all those things. And at the end of that, when that EOD mission ended, we went full-time into the patrol base. So we were doing four days in the patrol base, four days at at the FOB, four days of patrol base, four days at the FOB. Well, while we were at the patrol base, the command team found out that I used to be infantry. And they said, hey, man, so you're going to be a squad leader. And I was like, uh, no. I'm a medic. I'm a combat asset, not a combat multiplier. I'm here to save lives, not take them. I'm, that's not why I'm here. And their response was, well, we've already talked to your chain of command, and your battalion commander already sent us a memo allowing us to utilize you in both jobs. Oh. Okay. Well, then you should, so, then you should get paid for both jobs. So, yeah, right? <laughs> and I'm like, so we're going to do it my way then? Um, I need to go back to the FOB, and I need to train my guys my way. Otherwise, I'm not stepping out of, out of the patrol base on another mission. So explain to people what FOB is. Uh, FOB is a forward operation base. So this is where it's 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 you're in the combat zone, but it's very well fortified. Um, and so we went. He was like, "Well, how much time do you need?" I'm like, "I need a week." He was like, "You got three days. Go." Jeez. And so I was like, "All right." I was hoping for at least a. I was hoping to get four. That's why I said a week. Um, and so he sent us back to the FOB, and we trained for three days. And all we did was react to sniper fire. We react to IED. React to small arms fire, react to ambush, you know, over and over and over. How to occupy a home, how to move in in, um, different formations, how to set up different assembly areas, you know, just all the the infantry tactical stuff that they were an artillery unit. They didn't, it's not their job set either. You know what I mean? So they didn't, and it's not, so it's not a gig on them. It's not what they trained for. It's not what they're prepared for. It's not what their skill set is. And so we trained and trained and trained for four days, eight, 12 hours a day. And then we came back out and went to work. Um, and then that mission ended in December. And then from December to, I want to say February, I did clip security, which is combat logistic patrol. And so I was a medic on a team where whenever there were convoys going from point A to point B to drop stuff off or pick things up or whatever, I was the, the security team that took care of them. 
and I was the medic on that team. Like then my my infantry time died at that point. I was back to just being a medic. And my first sergeant finally said, "You've done enough, dude. Like you have done enough." I mean, I earned a CMB about six different times. I mean, it's we were in multiple firefights. I should have been awarded a CIB, but I wasn't in an infantry battalion, you know. And I was a medic. Um, like I did it all. Like I did more in that 15 months than I think most people do in multiple deployments. Wow. Um, because after I got to back to my unit, because I was tasked out that whole time to the security platoon. Mm-hmm. When I got pulled back into the medical company, which was 26 Charlie Company BS, two, Charlie Company 26 BSB, which is battalion's brigade support battalion. Um, and we were running a level two cash, which is a military hospital. And my first sergeant, I get out there and he was like, hey, man, take the first three days and just get the lay of the land. And when you're done, you're going back to work. He goes, I'm going to put you on third shift. We might get a we might get a patient a week. man. It's, it's chill. You can maybe do some college courses or stuff if you want. Or it's going to be very relaxed. You'll have time. And I was like, all right, thanks, Hop. You know, and so I did. I chilled for about three days and just worked out and got to know the fob and figure out where the DFAC was, where we eat, and where the gym is. Never believe them when they say it's going to be chill. And I averaged one casualty a night for the rest of the time I was there. Um, and then I, I got – so I got – and so I, when I got there – um, this is where my PTSD started to exhibit itself. I couldn't sleep. Nightmares. Very jumpy, angry, pissed off all the time. Look, um, not um, to really get into yeah. personals of the nightmares. I understand the nightmare uh, portion of how did you deal with the shadow people in your nightmares? I didn't have them. I had straight up, I saw everybody. And oh, I wow. Had, I had Good re- for you. So my, night, my nightmare was a so complete. You, so you could face them. Well, mine was a completely reoccurring dream, right? So it was like I had the same dream over and it was the it was the day that I was awarded my combat medic badge, which the guy was it was an EOD mission. The guy lost both legs. We had a guy that got blown up, but he was okay. And then um, we got into an, a, a severe firefight after we got our guy on the helicopter and got him out of there. Um, but I remember every moment of that day. I don't remember it when it happened, and I didn't remember it for three or four days after until my brain goes, "Oh yeah, we can remember this now." Um, but my body went on complete autopilot and I put on tourniquets. I did a chest tube. I did needle decompressions. I did all kinds of things that I was completely incoherent. Right. Yeah. And so my body just did it. And the only thing I remember about it was when we got him up to the, to the helicopter, the flight medic came off the helicopter and, you know, he pulls his microphone up. He goes, what do you got? And I reached into his mic because if I talk into his microphone, he'll hear me in his headset. Right. And so I'm talking to his microphone. Oh, my God, you know, Caucasian American, bilateral amputee, two doses morphine, two, one dose Hexten, one dose uh, lactated ringers. I've done two needle decompressions left side, two needle decompressions right side. I got a chest tube on the right. I'm like stabilized. Tourniquets are in place. Time is on the forehead. Patient's ready. Rapid. Let's go. And he's like, thanks, man. And I don't – but I don't remember treating him. I don't remember doing any of it until like three or four days later. But then the dreams that I have are of that day from the moment the IED goes off to the moment I get to him and I can't find medical supplies anywhere. All my, my pockets are empty. I open up everybody else's pockets and they're, they're empty. Oh, like there's no, gosh, I, I can't hate those kind of oh, dreams. And so I'm like, I'm useless. Right. And, and in my dream, I'm completely useless and everybody's dying and there's nothing I can do about it. And those were my nightmares for years for absolute years um 
but I get to the hospital and all these things are starting to happen. Like I'm going three days, no sleep. I, and when I do sleep, it's nightmare from the moment I fall asleep until I wake up. And I don't wake up in between screaming or yelling. I sleep the whole night and I just have a nightmare for eight hours. Um, and so no, so it's not good sleep. It's completely un, unrealistic sleep. Um, it's not healing sleep that your body needs. And I wake my up first, curled up in a corner. Yeah. Well, and then my first sergeant kind of realized I was taking every patient that came in. I didn't care. Like I was in the ER nonstop. I needed to be busy. And my first sergeant was just like, he's like, hey, man, he pulled me aside and he's, he's a little Puerto Rican dude. He's awesome. I love him. And uh, he's like, so how often are you sleeping, bro? And I was like, I'm good, top. He was like, don't bullshit me. How often are you sleeping? Every three or four days, top. Sleep? Like, What's that? Yeah. So he's like, okay. He's like, here's the deal. I'm going to take you off a full rotation. He goes, you work when you work. And when you can't work anymore, you let me know you're going to sleep. That's I'm like, awesome. Okay. I'm like, all right, Tom, thank you. And I, I worked, I mean, I worked every casualty, every patient that came in, every chance I got. And then I'd be sleeping and they would come wake me up. Hey, hey, Sergeant Gaskin, we need, we need help. We got, we got a patient, we can't figure it out. You know, and they'll pull me down to the ER and it's an infant and they get IV and I'm like, get me. And I'm, I mean, I'm sleep. I'm on double doses of Ambien and I'm, I'm like looking at all this. I'm like, you know, like I need this. And I'm like, give me a 24 gauge needle. I need two four by fours. I need this, that, that, that. And I'm doing the things. Got the IV in, and I will go back to bed. Um, and so we come home, and I I get approved to go to the Third Infantry Division Band as a medic, but I'm there to be a rock vocalist. And so I spent the rest of my career in that unit um, as an as a medic, as a medic, but as a rock vocalist for the band. So my job, I toured all over and just sang. Um, and so we redeployed back to Iraq nine months after I got home. The general, the commanding general waived my stabilization time to get me back in theater. Um, and then we did 13 months. We were only supposed to do 12 months. On the 12th month, I just locked up the connexes, and our command team pulls us into the tent and says, hey, so we're not going home. We were getting on a plane tomorrow, you know. What do you mean we're not going home? And he was just like, yeah, so the unit that was supposed to replace us – just got approved for a 30 day extension because they're not, because they're not ready. And I'm like, not what, what, you know, define not ready. Yeah. What? what? Um, And so I sat there kind of freaking out for a minute. I'm like, all right, look, we just, just finished with the connexes. I need to get those guys to come back up, the customs people to come back up here because they need to pop the lock. We need to pull out our rucksacks um, and we're going to live out of our rocks for the next 30 days. I said, but they need to be here so I don't have to inventory all this stuff all over again. And so we got we got them up there, got it done without incident. It was awesome. And even the custom guys were like, wow, dude, you were organized. This has never happened this easy. You know, my load plan was an actual physically drawn map of where everything was in the Connex. Um, and so we stayed for an extra month, and then we came home, and I – was about to get chaptered out of the army because I no longer had an EMT license because I had spent all this time as an army vocalist and medics are required to have an EMT license. And so as I'm about to be kicked out, one of my soldiers and I got into an argument and I turned and punched a glass door and the door shattered and exploded all over the place. And I'm like, well, I'm supposed to be out in 90 days and now I'm going to get reduced. Um, all the stuff, like, this is great. And I'm going to have to pay for that door. And my commander, I had a, we had a new commander, new first sergeant, and the commander goes, hey, go chill out for a minute. 
meet me by the truck. And so I went and met him by his truck. And he drove me over to the actual head of behavioral health on the military installation at Port Stewart, Georgia. And I don't remember her name. And I feel bad for it because I tore this lady apart, like verbally. I, I chewed her out twice. Um, but I did. I, I, you know, she was like, well, tell me why I should med board you. And I just was like, yeah, I'm disabled and I'm broken and this, that and everything. And blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, I'm not hearing what I should hear. And I go, this ain't a game. You tell me what you want to hear, you know. And she goes, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send your your medical packet over to a colleague of mine. Now, mind you, my medical packet was like this. And she goes, I'm going to send it over to a colleague of mine. And if he says I should med board you, I will put you in a medical retirement board. No questions asked. Done. She was like, but if he says no, you're getting chaptered. There's no benefits. There's no nothing. It's a chapter 13. You're not going to have anything. And I'm like, so, so at the time, I was like, 14 Ouch. years of service. I've literally saved hundreds of lives. And you're going to tell me that. Man, because of one mistake. Yeah, because I don't have an EMT license. And so I get up and I leave and go home. And this is on a Wednesday. I come back on and this is on Thursday. I come back on Friday. My commander takes me back. I'm like, I don't want to go. Screw her. I'll just I'm getting chaptered. And he was like, no, come on, let's go. And so we go. We get over to her office and she goes, so your med board starts on Monday. And I go. Huh? You know, she's like, no, your med board. I'm like, what happened? She's like, well, I sent your file over to my colleague's office. And he had it for five minutes and was on the phone with me. And he tore me up one side. And he, she goes, no man has ever talked to me like that in my entire life. I've known him for 40 years. He's never talked to me like that. And I'm like, whoa. She's like, you should have never deployed the second deployment. You should have been med boarded then. Wow. And I was like, wow. Okay, well, you're a dumbass. And I kind of went off <laughs> on her again. You know, um, I'm like, see, I told you. And Hello. So, yeah. And so I ended up in I ended up in a med board that following Monday and two and a half years later, which is exceptionally long. Uh, I was finally medically retired at 80 percent permanent total and, or 80 percent from the VA and 80 percent from the DOD, the Department of Defense. And within nine months, the VA made me 100 percent permanent total. Um, wow. I went in, I went in for a uh, I got went in because the army wouldn't diagnose me with TBI. And I went into the VA and pushed and pushed and pushed to get a uh, screening for traumatic brain injury. And they finally caved and did it. And within five minutes of the assessment, the guy goes, how many times were you blown up, man? I'm like, all right, dude, let's do this. And so I filed a claim for traumatic brain injury. And they basically increased my post-traumatic stress disorder from 70% to 100%, but made it a combined diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder with residuals with residuals of traumatic brain injury vertigo because wow. i i turn a corner and i fall i, I want to fall over if i stand up too fast i want to fall down like, right i get super dizzy my equilibrium gets way off so um but somehow my eardrums are still in full tack there's no holes in my traumatic membranes or whatever but there's um air pockets in the fluid now right so the VA diagnosed me with traumatic brain injury and then it was within 12 months of me retiring. And so I filed a claim for service connection for traumatic brain injury. Um, and instead of making it an independent thing, because they said that the signs and symptoms bled together too much in my condition, they made it a singular diagnosis and made it post-traumatic stress disorder with TBI residuals, residuals of vertigo. And so now I'm a hundred percent, I'm permanent in total. Um, but on my way out of the military during that two and a half year med board process, I was doing a lot of stuff with music, trying to find a way to sell to kind of self treat 
for because I was tired of the med. I was already getting tired of taking. I was on 100 milligrams of Seroquel. Oh, you know, wow. I, I was on I was on 40 milligrams of Celexa. I was on 25 milligrams of Prozac. I was on. So you were a zombie. I was. I was, and I smelled like a walking toilet. Like oh I, could sh- I could shower four times a day, and it didn't matter. My wife didn't want to be close to me, and she's like, "It was coming like, out your pores." Yeah. yeah. And she's like, you know, you smell like crap. Like, did you wipe? And I'm like, but let me do a wipe. Like, I'm a grown man. I know how to wipe, you know. And <laughs> Let's double check. <laughs> yeah. And so finally, after about a year of her saying this to me, I went, you know, I went and Googled it because Google was getting big. You know, you could finally figure out stuff on the Internet and Facebook was happening. And I'm like, oh, I guess if I do take this medication, it'll make me smell like a walking turd factory. Great. And so um, I was trying to find a way to get away from all this. And so I met a buddy of mine who ends up he's now like my best friend like we do all kinds of stuff together we hang out all the time but i was living in georgia he was living here in tennessee and we were get we get to talking on the internet and he was like dude you should write a book and i was like what dude i'm a high school dropout man nobody's gonna give a crap and he was just like no you should you, you need to write a book dude about just all the different things that you do for absolutely your and i was just like dude I, i'm a i have a ged no one's gonna he's like write the book fine whatever dude and i sat down and wrote an outline and i got up and i went outside and i yelled at my garden you know um and i came back in and i started writing a chapter after the first bullet bullet thing on my outline is that the a warrior's garden yeah and that that turned into a warrior's garden um which is you know from then it's now been sold in seven countries the chinese government in 2016 paid for me to go to Chengdu, China, and to Sukong, China, and speak on agriculture as a way to mitigate suicide. Awesome. Um, I mean, they put me on a, on a a really nice plane, you know, really nice, you know, four star, five star hotels, like four and five star meals. Like I had my own private interpreter. Like wow. it was amazing. Like it was absolutely amazing. Um, and I came home with this whole new realization of what my position in the world was as a warfighter, and that I was missing. It's missing a lot of it because I was so focused on just the veteran community and there's so many people that have trauma, you know, and we we have grown so much in our understanding of trauma over the last 10 years because of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars that because of the veterans. Right. We have learned mm-hmm. how to treat, how to diagnose, how to learn more about how to make things simpler and easier because of that. And so it's like, why am I pigeonholing that to just just my community? Right. Right. I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to, as a veteran, I'm supposed to integrate into my local communities, and I'm supposed to enhance and make those communities better. I'm not supposed to just sit there and hoard all that information and say screw you guys. Um, and so that's what I started doing. I started opening my workshops and my seminars that I teach based off my book to first responders. I started opening up to Gold Star families. I started opening up to high school kids where I go in and just teach anger management. You know, and now we have a we have an agreement with the. Uh, local court here in murray county where i live where juveniles come out and do community service through our nonprofit. they pull weeds they pick up trash they you know move sticks from one side to the other and then back again whatever i can think of to keep them busy to make them do community service um but then we're able to put on these like i said these these mentorship workshops and i'm it's it's morphed into what i was talking about before we went on the air um, it's morphed into I'm writing a six week program on youth mentorship. So young adults and, and older adolescent. Right. Um, teaching them, you know, the, the three of the Army seven values, which is, you know, loyalty, duty, respect, honor, self service, integrity, personal courage. And I said that order. I screwed it up. Um, but then I take the three to me that were always the most important, which was honor, integrity and personal courage. 
and I teach these kids what they mean, not just the military definition, but what it act, what is honor? Because honor is a noun and it's a verb. You know what I mean? What is integrity? Integrity is doing the right thing when nobody's looking. And what is personal courage? Is being strong enough to stand up to your friends and tell them they're being stupid. You know what I mean? Um, because you're tired of getting in trouble. Absolutely. Because they're, because they're doing dumb things. Most of the kids that I end up getting on my community service stuff are kids that were hanging out with the kids doing the bad stuff. And they just got caught up in it. Um, and so, so yeah, so we're creating this program where it's going to talk about all those things and, and, and then how to how to set themselves up for future success with problem solving skills and planning and, and all that. Um, and that's really as, as deep as I'm going to go into that. Cause we're working on writing that workbook and then copywriting and getting it ready. Um, that's really good. Which, which brings up a question for me. Yeah. We, we have programs um, in my, in my work. Um, you know that I trace track, rescue and extract victims of yeah. human trafficking. And so um, with that being said, we uh, we rescue some very damaged young mm-hmm. people. Could your program help those young people? I think and that how? my program will benefit and help anybody who invests themselves into it, right? So awesome. I tell everybody, like, if you, if you join the military and you don't invest yourself and allow yourself to be molded, Right. Like everybody, oh, the military is indoctrination. Well, yeah, duh. And that's why you joined because you're choosing to be indoctrinated that way. Right. Um, and so I tell people like anything that you want, if you invest yourself in it, you will find value and growth from it. So if you like my program, so I have two different programs. I have a, tra- a holistic trauma recovery program and then I have a life skills mentorship program. Um, both of them benefit anyone. Because even if you've not been through trauma, what it does is it helps you build my holistic healthcare trauma course, helps people develop the coping mechanisms and the skill sets they need prior to ever being exposed to trauma. And then when the trauma comes, they'll have those things already ready in their tool bag, right? Um, Or if you've already been through trauma, it shows you how to mitigate your triggers, how to pull things from within you that are already a part of your life and turn them into – coping mechanisms when there's things because what you're doing is you're taking things right now that are what's this is what i do you know and turning them into your why you do them so you're giving them purpose and then we teach them how to take their habits and turn their habits into their positive habits and turn them into purpose um but yeah i mean wholeheartedly like my program would work and we've talked a little bit about that in the past where we discussed about how to get one of my workshops up there so but yeah they would benefit definitely awesome um we just have a couple of minutes. So you talked a little bit about the book, A Warrior's Garden, and how that book came about. Where can we find your book? Um, you can so you can find it in, in a lot of places. I'm going to give you two very specific ones. The first one is, of course, the big the big one that everybody knows. You can go to Amazon.com, and you can get a paperback version, or you can get a Kindle e-reader version, um, and, and that's great. And I, I love selling those books. Or – you can go to our website, which is www.awarriorsgarden.com and buy from our store. If you buy it from our store, 100% of the proceeds from that sale go to our nonprofit. And, awesome. I'm, and I'm just being honest. Everything you buy from Amazon goes to my pocket. <laughs> so, there you go. Good. Yeah. So good. you can buy it to feel good because you helped me out or you can buy it to help somebody get a garden. So either way, you're supporting a veteran. Well. Next week, next Thursday night, we will be having Malachias Gaskin back on so we can discuss a warfighter 
uh, garden and what he does and how he does it and how other people can incorporate that into their lives with his help. Um, again, um, tell us how we can find you. Um, so I'm on Twitter, a warrior's garden. I'm on Instagram, a warrior's garden, and I'm on Facebook, a warrior's garden. It's all that right there, a warrior's garden. Um, it's backwards. Oh, see, it was backwards, and so I flipped it, and so it's forwards for me, but okay, I'll have to unfix it for the next time. <laughs> My bad. Uh, okay, I thought I was being good. sly. I was like, I'm good. I got this. I, <laughs> I'm just saying. It was so bad, I brought the other guy in. Um, I got an angel <laughs> on the air. So, um, but, uh, so yeah, so, no, that was good. That was good. I like that. Um but yeah, it's it's. I forgot where I was going with that. Now, Angel got me. We were talking about where to find you. Oh yeah, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I don't do TikTok. Um, I'm I'm not that young, so I don't talk the ticks. I don't snap the chats. Um, you can get me on Facebook at uh, Malachi Gaskin. It's a picture of me sideways with my glasses on, and I'm looking at something off in the distance like I'm being cool. Um, and that's <laughs> that's that's my public speaking slash life coach page because um, I offer trauma-informed life coaching um, through that as well. So no, We could talk all night, so I'm really glad yeah. that um, that you're coming back next Thursday night. So everybody tune in. And learn more about a warrior's garden. You will not regret it. I I promise you will not regret it. Everyone, this ends the broadcast for me tonight. I want to thank Malachias Gaskin for joining me around the campfire. Thanks for enjoying, having me. Enjoying the coals of my fire. And remember everyone, train hard and train smart. To survive, thrive, and stay alive. This is Kate, signing off until next time.